Psalm 23. Give your attention as I continue to read God's holy word. A Psalm of David. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Thus far the reading of God's word. Well, as we bring this short little series on the 23rd Psalm to a close. Uh, I've been looking at the major themes. There's three sections in this psalm as I've been arguing. The first one in verses 1, 2, and 3 give us the theme of provision, of provision as our Lord is described here as a shepherd who leads the sheep to green pastures and still waters. Then last Lord's Day we looked at verse 4 as we saw there uh, the Lord is our companion. And there the theme was protection as he guides us and walks with us through the dark valleys of life with his rod and his staff and they bring us comfort. Now as we look at verses 5 and 6, we're going to see the Lord as our host who uh, provides a lavish feast for us. And the theme here would be vindication. Vindication. Uh, in, this, in this sense, to vindicate is to prove or demonstrate that you were right. That you were right. I think of a silly example here uh, since it's Super Bowl season. If you remember way back, uh, I think it would have been the 1970 Super Bowl or 71, uh, good old Broadway Joe Namath, the quarterback of the New York Jets, predicted that his team would win Super Bowl III against the far superior, by everybody's account, uh, team, the Baltimore Colts. They had uh, Johnny Unitas. They had the, the, the great defense. They had all, everything was stacked in their favor, but Joe Namath said, we're going to win this game. He predicted it before it happened, and as the game wore on and the Jets won that game, he was vindicated in his statement. And that's what we see here in this passage here. As the motif now of the companion leads to the host. And here we see this feast laid out before us. This feast in the house of the Lord. And this is our vindication. It is a vindication of our faith. As, as we have been brought through the valley of the shadow of death. We come out the other side and we see the Lord ready to host us. It is the vindication that our faith was well placed, that he did indeed lead us through the dark valleys and now brings us to our ultimate heavenly home to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So our theme this morning, quite simple, Jesus Christ is our host who vindicates us with his goodness and his mercy. And we're going to look at this as we have the others uh, in three parts. We're going to see his welcome in verse 5. We're going to see his gifts in the first half of verse 6. 
And we're going to see his home in the second half of verse 6. So again, looking at his welcome, verse 5, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Now, as we noticed last week, if you remember, um, in verses 1, 2, and 3, David refers to the Lord as the shepherd, but he uses uh, the third person. He says there, he makes me lie down. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. Third person. But then it shifts in verse 4. As now David sees himself walking through the valley of the shadow of death. And he sees the Lord now beside him. He says, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. He's now, it's as if he is speaking to the Lord himself. He's not talking to us saying, yes, he was with me through the valley of the shadow of death. No, as he's in the valley, he says, he turns to the Lord. His companion says, you are with me. And then we see he continues this in verses 5 and 6. As he says, well, at least in verse 5, as he comes out of the valley and he sees the feast, the banquet, he says, you prepare before me a table in the presence of my enemies. So he continues this second person uh, speaking. But again, this, uh, the imagery here shifts from that of shepherd and companion now to a host, one who provides uh, a, a banquet, one who welcomes us into his home. So the one who provided for us in the, in the verdant pastures and the still waters, the one who led us through the dark valleys, now protects or sorry, vindicates us as he welcomes us into our home. And I can only uh, imagine here as David himself, you, you see this progression in the psalm as he comes out of the valley of deep darkness, as he comes out of the valley of the shadow of death, and he sees a lavish banquet prepared for him. He sees a, a welcome feast opened up for him by our shepherd, our companion, and our host. And this speaks of the Lord's hospitality, his hospitality. Hospitality is a, a big deal, uh, biblically speaking, is a big deal in the Old Testament. In fact, we're going to see this uh, tonight uh, as we look at Genesis 18. Uh, the Lord appears to Abraham along with two angelic uh, uh, companions with him. And Abraham opens up his tent and welcomes these, these strange visitors to his home and welcomes them and shows them hospitality. It was, it was so ingrained in that culture, so ingrained to show hospitality to one who came, a stranger, to welcome into your home and to, and to feed them and to care for them. The New Testament impresses this upon us too. Paul in Romans 12 says that we should show hospitality to one another. When he's speaking to Timothy in 1 Timothy 3, when he talks about the qualifications for an overseer, he says an overseer should be one who shows hospitality. In fact, the author of Hebrews says that in showing hospitality, we may be showing hospitality to angels without even knowing it. Hebrews 13, verse 12, or verse 2. So this idea of hospitality is a big deal in the Old Testament. It's a big deal in the New Testament. And it shows here God's generosity, his 
his welcome to his sheep, his people. And here you have the imagery of a guest. This is exactly what a guest in those days would do. When you bring someone into your home, you anoint them with oil and you provide them with a meal. This anointing oil was, it's not the anointing like you get when you anoint a prophet, priest, or king. It's a different word. It's a word there to, uh, to make fat. Uh, it's you're showing them welcome. You're, you're refreshing them from their travels. You, you anoint their head with oil. Jesus talks about this in his parables uh, when uh, he is rebuking a Pharisee who welcomed him to his home. He, and, and if you remember that story, I believe it's Luke 7, a woman comes in. It's, she's like a, uh, a prostitute. And she has this alabaster flask of expensive oil and she breaks it open and anoints the feet of Jesus. And the, 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 the one giving the party uh, thinks, it's like, well, if, if Jesus were who he said he was, he would know who this woman is. And, and the Jesus turns to the guy and he says, I have a few words for you. He says, first of all, you did not show me hospitality. You welcomed me into, my, into your home, but you did not give me oil to anoint my head. Yet this woman here has anointed my feet and wipes them with her hair. Anointing was very big. It was a sign of welcoming into a home. And then this idea of the overflowing cup. It is here. It is not just to show the hospitality of the Lord. It is to show his extraordinary hospitality, his lavish welcome for us. He is a good and gracious host. He is a, an outrageously gracious host here as he has this, this welcome, this uh, pouring the oil on the head, a cup that just flows over with, uh, with, with water here. Um, if you go to some diners and cafes uh, dotted throughout the country, you know, they always talk about the, the bottomless cup of coffee, right? You know, it's like when you're drinking coffee, it's like the waitress comes and she continues to fill the cup more and more. It's like it's even better than that. It's better than the bottomless cup of coffee when he comes. This overflowing cup is meant to show the outrageous and lavish graciousness of uh, the hospitality of God. The Lord here is a host, and he is, he is showing and treating us as the honored guests in his home. He is showing us the lavish hospitality. Again, if you remember when we looked at the first part, when we saw that first line in the, in the psalm here, the Lord is my shepherd, and we focused on what it meant to, to say that the Lord is my shepherd. It's to say that the one who spoke the universe into existence, who arranged the stars in, their, in, in the universe and gave them their motion, who upholds all things with the word of his power, who said, let there be light, and light came in the darkness. The one who is transcendent. The one who is uh, El Shaddai, God Almighty, welcomes us and treats us as the honored guests. He treats us in his home. He pours oil on our heads. He gives us an overflowing cup. The transcendent one is also imminent as he shows himself here to be a gracious host. And note, too, that this table is set up in the presence of my enemies, in the presence of those who cause distress. This is, in a word, vindication. Vindication. Turn over, if you will, to Psalm 
31. It's just a few pages over. In Psalm 31, verses 19 and 20, here, almost certain this is David. Yep, Psalm of David. David here writes, Oh, how great is your goodness, which you have laid up for those who fear you, which you have prepared for those who trust in you. In the presence of the sons of men, you shall hide them in the secret place of your presence from the plots of man. You shall keep them secretly in a pavilion from the strife of tongues. Here, again, this idea of vindication. You have prepared for those who trust in you. We place our trust in the Lord, and the Lord vindicates that trust by welcoming us in the presence of the sons of men, by hiding us from those who seek to do us ill. We see this also in the prophet Isaiah, chapter 25, in the prophet Isaiah, verses 6 through 9. This is a great prophecy in the prophet Isaiah that points to the end times. And on this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all people a feast of choice pieces, a feast of wines on the lees, of fat things full of marrow, of well-refined wines on the lees. And he will destroy on this mountain the surface of the covering cast over all people and the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces. The rebuke of his people he will take away from all the earth. For the Lord has spoken. And it will be said in that day, Behold, this is our God. We have waited for him, and he will save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. We will be glad and rejoice in his salvation. Again, vindication. The Lord on his mountain will host a great host for all people, for all people, a choice meats and choice wine. And notice as we are fed on his great feast, he himself swallows up death. The nations are taken away. All those who have sought uh, the, the destruction of God's people will be done away with. And that again is the vindication we are speaking of here. The vindication of the Lord. Our, our faith and our trust is not in vain. In the Lord, right? He, he vindicates us. He vindicates our faith. He vindicates our trust by presenting us with this lavish feast of hospitality. What an awesome thing it'll be to share in a feast with the Lord of hosts, the Lord of all creation who welcomes us into his home. This is what was pictured in the Old Testament with the peace offering. There were five different offerings that were specified in Old Testament times, and one of them was one in which the giver would share in a meal with the priest in the tabernacle in the presence of the Lord, the peace offering, because peace has been made with this offering before the Lord, and they would share in a meal together. And that is what it's going to be like and points forward to the great feast at the end of the age when we have the marriage supper of the Lamb in Revelation 19 where uh, the bride comes out and the Lord opens up his table. Uh, we see this uh, prophesied in some of the uh, parables of Jesus of the great wedding feast where all the guests are invited this wedding feast, this great feast in which we share in the Lord's graciousness where he overflows us with his grace and mercy. 
So that is his welcome, and it is indeed a great welcome. And now, more than his overflowing cup, more than his anointing our head with oil, the Lord bestows great and wonderful gifts to us in verse uh, 6, the first half, where he says, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Now, first note that word there in verse 6, surely. We may skip over that, but it's a very small word in the Hebrew, but it, it speaks of certainty. It speaks of something that is set in stone. He's not saying, I hope goodness and mercy will follow you all the days of your life, or I'm, I'm, you know, maybe goodness and mercy will follow you all the days of your life. No, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Other translations have only goodness and mercy or certainly goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. In other words, what David is saying here is there is no doubt in my mind that goodness and mercy are following me all the days of my life. Once David is out of the dark valley and at the table of the great host, he looks back on his life and he sees that all it's been has been goodness and mercy all the days of his life. Now, hear me when I say this, okay? It's not that the dark valleys are good, okay? It is not that the dark valleys are good. It is that David is looking back. He is reflecting on the dark valleys. And he says, it was all worth it because here I am in the house of the Lord with this lavish feast. And I look back and I notice that goodness and mercy have been following me all the days of my life. Think of Joseph. We looked at this last time. Joseph, who went through dark valleys. His brothers sold him into slavery. He was unjustly accused by Potiphar's wife. He was forgotten by the baker, the butcher, and the candlestick maker in the prison of Potiphar. And he looks back when his brothers are there at the end after his dad has passed away, after Jacob's passed on, and he says, you meant it for evil, but the Lord meant it for good. He looks back on all of that and says, I saw the Lord's hand in all of this. And though it was hard for me at the time, I know it was for good. <coughs> or think of Job. Job chapter 42, the very end of the book of Job. Starting in verse 10 of chapter 42. Did Job go through some dark valleys? Yeah. <laughs> he lost everything. <laughs> he lost his family. He lost his wealth. He lost his health. He had uh, three friends, <laughs> if you will, who were continually badgering him, falsely accusing him. And at the end, then he has a little conversation with the Lord. And at the end of that conversation, he says, I stop up my mouth. <laughs> I spoke as a fool. I did not, I neglected to see how great and awesome you are, Lord. I have heard of you with the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see you. Therefore, I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. And because of that, in verse 10, and the Lord restored Job's losses when he prayed for his three friends. So he, 
In the midst of all this, when the Lord is rebuking the three friends, Job intercedes for the three friends, just as he interceded for his family when, when they were alive. And the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. Then all his brothers, all his sisters, and all those who had been his acquaintances before came to him and ate food with him in his house. And they consoled him and comforted him for all the adversity that the Lord had brought upon him. Each one gave him a piece of silver and a ring of gold. Now the Lord blessed the latter days of Job more than, the, than his beginning, for he had 14,000 sheep and 6,000 camels and so on. He also had seven sons and three daughters, and he called the name of the first Geminiah and the name of the second Keziah and so on. And after this, Job lived 140 years and saw his children and grandchildren for four generations. So Job died old and full of days. Job saw his dark valley and the Lord who brought him through that blesses him more abundantly than he was before. Goodness and mercy were following them. The dark valleys were not pleasant. They're never pleasant. But when you look back and you see your faith vindicated, you look back and you see goodness and mercy. And notice too when, G when, when David here says, goodness and mercy follow me the word there literally is pursue it's like they're chasing him down <laughs> it's like the lord's mercy is chasing david down they didn't just simply follow david they pursued him the hound of heaven pursues us and chases us down as the lord chases us down with his goodness and his mercy the pain that we often seek to avoid is the means and the vehicle through which the lord chases us with his goodness and his mercy we don't like the dark valleys we talked about this before we often want to avoid the dark valleys we wish there were signs up that said warning will robinson danger dark valleys ahead and we want to avoid all of that but when we see the Lord's goodness and mercy, even in the dark valleys, we look back on it and say, yes, Lord, I see that you have been good and merciful to me. In fact, David here is personifying goodness and mercy. It's not as if goodness and mercy are things. This is the Lord. David is personifying because it is the Lord who pursues us all the days of, the, of, of our lives with his goodness and mercy. Exodus 34, right? When Moses is on the mountain and the Lord reveals himself to Moses, he shows him just a glimpse of his glory and he proclaims the name of the Lord and says, the Lord, the Lord, a God who is slow to anger and bounds in steadfast love and goodness and mercy. The one who leads us to green pastures and still waters. The one who is at our side in the dark valleys is the one who pursues us with his goodness and his mercy. And again, in the dark valleys of life, it can be very difficult to see the Lord's goodness and mercy. I, I do not want to belittle anyone's pain or anyone's suffering. It is very hard in the moment to see goodness and mercy when you have a loved one who has passed away or when you've lost everything or when you are sick and your health is failing. Hard to see the goodness and mercy of the Lord. But David says here, surely this is so. Surely this is so. 
Psalm 30 is so good about this. Psalm 30, verses 1, 2, and 3. I will extol you, O Lord, for you have lifted me up, and you have not let my foes rejoice over me. O Lord, my God, I cried out to you, and you healed me. O Lord, you brought my soul up from the grave. You have kept me alive that I should not go down to the pit. And then verses 11 and 12. You have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have put off my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness to the end that my glory may sing praise to you and not be silent. O Lord, my God, I will give thanks to you forever. Goodness and mercy shall follow you all the days of your life. Now finally, let us look at his home. So we saw his welcome, his gifts, which are goodness and mercy, and now his home. The last part of verse 6, and I will dwell, or return to dwell maybe, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever or for length of days. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So as we've been saying throughout this series, there are three great confessions of faith in this psalm. The first one, in verse 1, because the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. The second one in verse 4, because you are with me, I will fear no evil. And here, the third one, because your goodness and mercy follow me all the days of my life, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is a confession of faith that David makes here. I know that I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever because surely his goodness and mercy follow me. Why? Because he has prepared a feast for me and vindicated my faith and trust in him. He has led me through the dark valleys. He has led me and provided for me all the days of my life. Because of the host's graciousness and mercy, David here can confidently say, I will dwell in his house all the days of my life. The great host who has pursued us with his goodness and mercy, who has anointed our heads and filled our cups, now welcomes us into his home. He welcomes us into his home. And this is the goal. This is the telos. This is the end point, the omega point, if you will, of all of the shepherds leading, all of the companions protecting, and all of the hosts vindication. It is so that we will be brought into his home. Now, some people like to argue that David is speaking of the temple, uh, which doesn't make sense because the temple wasn't built yet. <laughs> and it certainly wouldn't have been the tabernacle. No, this is, we are talking, again, the end goal, the house of the Lord. Yes, the temple pointed to the house of the Lord. The tabernacle pointed to the house of the Lord. But this is his home. What was lost in the garden, symbolized in the temple, veiled and personified in Jesus Christ, will be restored in the end. This is the great Emmanuel principle that we see all throughout Scripture. God will dwell with his people forever. It was meant to be in the garden but that was lost because of the fall. It was symbolized with the temple, yet that was, that was guarded and protected. We could not go into the presence of the Lord uncovered because of our sin. So you had the elaborate sacrificial system. 
Jesus himself says, I am the temple. I am the fulfillment of the temple. Why? Because I will make the great sacrifice that will open up the temple gates, open up the veil to the Holy of Holies, and provide access to God. And it's going to be restored in the end when the new temple comes down out of heaven. The Emmanuel principle here is at work as David confidently says and asserts that he will be in God's house all the days of his life for length of days. That's not talking about the length of his life. It's talking about forever. That is the better interpretation there. Our covenant-making God has said, I will be your God and you will be my people and it's going to be fulfilled when we all, like David, dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And at the end of of it all, David's eyes were set on this goal. The roads that were taken to get there, the roads that the Lord himself led him through, the roads that went, yes, to the green pastures, yes, to the still waters, but those same roads that also led through the valley of deep darkness were for getting to this one singular goal, which is so much sweeter, right? This is what, again, this is the vindication of our faith. This is what makes those dark valleys worth it. This is what makes all the troubles in life worth it, to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. In fact, that's why I think the Lord brings trials into our lives, not because he doesn't like us, not because he's vindictive, but because he is trying to show us that there's more to this life than just what we have here and see. So these trials help to sort of break us from dependency upon this world and wean us off of its lusts and its lures and to get us to long for the house of the Lord. I'm sure David, when he was being chased by Saul, longed to be in the house of the Lord. I'm sure Job, when he was scraping sores off his body, longed to be in the house of the Lord. Paul said, yes, my life is to serve Christ, but guess what? When I die, it is going to be gain. I know I'm getting an upgrade when I die. That yes, I will labor for the Lord in this life, but I know that when he calls me home, it is going to be so much sweeter. So much sweeter. I think of the song, maybe some of you probably know this. Um, Bart Millard from Mercy Me wrote a song called I Can Only Imagine. And I think it's going on 20 almost 30 years old. I don't, I, don't, I, don't know, I don't know when he wrote it. But the uh, chorus of that song uh, goes, uh, Surrounded by your glory, what will my heart feel? Will I dance for you, Jesus? Or in all of you be still? Will I stand in your presence? Or to my knees will I fall? Will I sing hallelujah? Or will I be able to speak at all? I can only imagine. I can imagine David saying that. The house of the Lord forever. All the things in this life that have been brought me down, I know that his goodness and mercy have been following me all these days. All the days of my life. And I can only imagine what it will be like in the house of the Lord forever. The house of the Lord is the vindication of our faith and trust. 
It is the substance of our hope, as the author of Hebrews says. It is the evidence of our faith. It is the prize to which Paul himself strove, as he says so uh, eloquently in Philippians chapter 3, where he says, I run the race. I run the race. Philippians chapter 3, verses 12, 13, and 14. He talks about achieving the resurrection. And he says, look, not that I've already attained it or I'm already perfected, but he sees this life as like, I press on. That's, this is racing terminology. I, I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. I do not count myself as to have apprehended it, but one thing I do, I forget everything that lies behind and I reach forward to those things which are ahead. I press toward the goal for the prize, the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. That is the vindication. That is dwelling in the house of the Lord forever. And again, I can understand how it's very difficult to see the house of the Lord when you're in the valley of deep darkness. And that's why we need faith. It, uh, over and above everything else, this psalm, Psalm 23, is a psalm of confidence. It is a psalm of trust. It is a psalm in which we place our trust in the Lord who has our back, who provides for all of our needs, who protects us in all the dark valleys, and then vindicates that trust and faith at the end where he invites us to a lavish banquet at his home. In fact, Psalm 23, in a sense, is a microcosm of all of redemptive history from green pastures and still waters through the valley of deep darkness to the table in the house of the Lord from the garden to the cross to the new heavens and the new earth through it all Jesus our shepherd companion and host provides for us he protects us and he vindicates us let me close again with the words I read earlier in the service John 14 The disciples were troubled. They were troubled because Jesus kept speaking about leaving. They're like, what are we going to do without you, Lord? You are the Savior. You are, what are we going to do without you? And he says, let not your hearts be troubled. He just predicted that Judas would betray him, that Peter would deny him. They were troubled, right? One of our own is going to betray him. Our leader is going to deny him. And Jesus is like, don't, don't be troubled. Don't be troubled. This has to be. It's like, you believe in God. You trust in faith. Your faith will be vindicated. Believe also in me. In my Father's house, right? I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. In my Father's house are many mansions. It's like, if this were not so, I would have told you. And guess what? I'm going to go and prepare a place for you. You are going to be in my house. And if I, go to, and if I prepare a place for you, you can bet I'm going to come back and I'm going to bring you back to be with myself. That where I am, you may be also. To dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That is our goal. That is our hope. And that hope will be vindicated. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that I've done justice to this great psalm. 
I'm sure much more could be said, and it could be said more eloquently, but Lord, I pray that this has been encouraging for us in our faith as we walk even now through our veil of tears. Yes, there are moments of joy and happiness, and we should celebrate those, but there are also many moments of pain and suffering. Even now, we see in our church people have passed away and people are mourning. People are suffering pain, recovering from illnesses. Perhaps people are carrying the pain of past hurts. But through it all, Lord, we know that we will be vindicated if we place our trust in you. You will lay out that table and welcome us into your home. So Lord, we pray that you will bless these words to our hearts. May it strengthen our faith. May it encourage us in our walk. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.